From the early days of the State of Israel and even pre-state, the religious Zionist community has been at the forefront of shaping the Jewish identity of the country. Much of this work was done through religious Zionist parties in the Knesset, going all the way back to the formation of the state when Mizrahi and Hapol HaMizrahi sat in the government, continuing through 1956 when the two parties merged to form Mafdal, the religious Zionist party. Throughout that time, a religious Zionist party had been a partner in coalition governments for most of Israel's history, placing them as an important character in the history of the state. This work continues today. The recent election of a religious Zionist Shomer Shabbat Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, is a proud milestone in this story, but it's far from over. The religious Zionist community continues to play a leading role in shaping the future identity of the state of Israel. Which brings us to today's conversation with Gilad Katz, a discussion of what this stage may look like. Gilad Katz, at Sanchan Paratrooper while in the IDF, spent time as an advisor and speechwriter for Bibi Netanyahu. During his tenure in the office of the Prime Minister, he held prestigious titles such as Head of the Hebrew Correspondence Department and the Public Affairs Department. He most recently served as the Consul General of Israel to the Southwest, based in Houston and responsible for all of its neighboring states. He has a background in policy, communications, and education. His current project is what brings him to our podcast today, in conversation with Rabbi Daniel Alter. My name is Shira Kaplan, and I'd like to welcome you to the Religious Zionists of America Mizrahi Voices of Our Nation podcast. Welcome, Gilad. It's great to have you. Let's jump in and start with the main reason for this conversation today. You're presently running to become chairman of Bayit Yehudi, the National Religious Party, or at least one of the National Religious Parties, a topic we can get into later. As someone who has spent your career as a civil servant, you're now jumping headfirst into the complex and often vicious world of electoral politics. Can you give us an elevator pitch? What's your vision for Bayit Yehudi? And why is this such an important issue precisely at this point? Why now? First of all, you're right. I am going to run for the chairmanship of the Bayit Yehudi. I'm a modern Orthodox Jew. I was raised in a modern Orthodox house. The question why me and why now is uh, interesting. Why now is, I think this is the first time in 60 years that the Mafdal, the modern Orthodox party, uh, does not have a representative in the Knesset. This is the first time in 60 years. And I think it's a sort of a failure. There are a lot of people that you can blame. I'm not getting into the past. I'm just saying where things stand now. And uh, I think that uh, it may be a sort of a new generation that uh, of the leaders that uh, are trying to striving into the um, big footsteps of uh, the uh, former generation. Uh, sometimes we have this uh, in Israeli politics, you never understand how things work out, but sometimes there are less better years. And I think the Bayit UD is now at its lowest uh, situation in the last 60 years, even in the 21st century, we still need a party that comes from and to the uh, modern Orthodox community. Maybe taking a step back even, I know this is complicated for a lot of our listeners because now, you know, Yamina exists and Bayi Yehudi, the, the splintering that has taken place in the religious Zionist community. Can you maybe just first explain sort of how that happened um, and talk about sort of 
do you have a unifying vision for how to bring the religious Zionist community back together? Well, I think to answer that question, one has to understand not everyone who has a kippah on his head comes from the same background. We all know that there is the ultra-Orthodox. Everyone understands that they are not part of, of the modern Orthodox community, but also within the modern Orthodox community today, it, we can say it's split into at least three major groups. There are the more leaning to the ultra-Orthodox, modern Orthodox Jews, 20 to 25% of the modern Orthodox population. And then there are another 20 to 25% of the modern Orthodox population who lean much more close to what we call more liberal orthodoxy. And then there's the mainstream of 50 or 60% of the population of the modern orthodox population is uh, what we call the mainstream of the, of the modern orthodox. And I, and the Bite UD actually, is focusing on those 50 to 60%. Unfortunately, today, the two, I would say, two smaller groups from the right-wing side of the of the uh, arena, the political system, and the more liberal ones, they are in the Knesset, and the and the, the Mafdal, the more uh, mainstream, is uh, not in the Knesset. And as I said, as I mentioned earlier, not everyone who has a kippah on his head is considered to be part of the modern Orthodox community. Just for you to understand today, according to all the polls, there are 1.2 million modern Orthodox Jews who live in Israel. That counts to about 15 seats in the Knesset. That's more than 10% of the members of the Knesset. So you have to understand this is a big portion of members of the Knesset that potentially can all come from the same uh, community, but as I just mentioned earlier, we're talking about three different communities that are under the umbrella of modern orthodoxy. Right, and do you think we're able to unify those into one party primarily? The answer is no, and I don't think that uh, that should be the case, because uh, I think that there are too many differences in ideology differences between these two, these three separate modern orthodoxy and I don't think that they can and they should run in one uh, party. Um, there are many, many differences. I can give you, for instance, um, regarding the uh, the status or the status of the of the woman in uh, in the in the modern world, according to the more conservative modern orthodox they are much closer to the ultra orthodox regarding the the status of the women whereas mainstream and of course the liberal groups are totally in a different place altogether how should we go towards the conservative and the reform movements that is an issue that divides today the modern orthodoxy and once again the um, mainstream itself has a lot of differences between it. The liberal group doesn't have any problems whatsoever, and the more conservative ones, of course, sees the sees the conservatives and the reforms just as the ultra-orthodox. And 
that is the re that is why I think that today any unification is not on the table, and I'm not sure it should be. Right. So one of the other challenges that I think exists for the Dati Lumi modern Orthodox community is, you know, Israel right now is very polarized, and a lot of people see themselves as part of a shevet, a tribe is the language they use. Right. So I think for a Dati Lumi voters, we often don't look at things that way. Right. We care deeply about issues specific to our own community, but we also care deeply about many larger issues that the large parties address. I guess one of the questions to answer is why should they vote for a very small, specific party and not a larger one and bring a Dati Lumi into a voice into a large party? How would you respond to a voter who asks you that? I think that today, uh, Prime Minister Bennett showed everyone that even a small party of only six members can tilt the entire political system in Israel and change the entire form and shape of the government. So even though we're talking about bigger parties such as the Likud, which has 30, 30 seats, or Yeshatid with 17, at the end of the day, according to the Israeli system, you need to build co a coalition of at least 61. And today, according to all polls, the right wing succeed in, in getting around 58 seats, and they short of at least three. What I think, if the, the Baidudi will have even only four mandates. That will bring the right-wing parties to pass the threshold of 61, and then we can form a government, a right-wing national government. So even though we won't be the biggest party, we will have an impact, I would say a dramatic impact, on the formation of a national government. It's not only the numbers of the seats you have as a party, but it is also how many seats are missing for forming our national government. And I think today the Bait UD is the only party that is missing for forming a national government. So one of the things that is challenging for Americans when we try to understand the parliamentary system is that every party in Israel has its own set of rules, right? Some are more democratic than others. Can you give us a little background into how Bait UD works? How does one become chairman of Bait UD? Do you need support of the population of Bait UD voters? Is there a backroom deal? Are there political heavyweights that you need supporting you? How exactly does it work? That's a very good question. For quite a while, quite a few years ago, uh, the Bait UD was just like the Likud. We had primaries. There were more than 50 or 60,000 Israelis that were members of the party, and they used to vote in the primaries for the chairman and for the party members themselves. In the last four, four elections, the last two years, there wasn't any primaries for the chairmanship nor for the members of the party itself. I'm aiming to open up the party to allow as many people as possible taking part in the democracy of the party. I don't believe in a party that is not democratic. Unfortunately, that is the case in the vast majority of the Israeli parties such as Yamina today, such as Yesh Atid, such as Lieberman, such as uh, Tikva Hadashal, New Hope. I think that's more democratic. I think it's more healthy to allow people transparency of the democratic system. So one of the challenges as well is the fact that we've got Bayyuhudi and then there's Yamina, right? So obviously Yamina, you know, being right now, you know, holding the seat of the prime minister, 
I assume that there are many individuals who voted for what they saw as a right-wing nationalist party were disenchanted with the fact that Yamina is now part of the government. There are probably many, many um, voters who like the fact that they were able to create a broad coalition. Do you have thoughts about how to address that challenge, the fact that the religious Zionist community itself is split into really two separate parties at this point? I think everyone or almost everyone, the vast majority of the voters of Yumina understand that they are in a deadlock. They don't have actually any future. And now the question is what will happen until the elections, when the elections will take place. Eventually, we will see if the circumstances will stay as they are, we will see a collapse of Yamina. And then uh, Naftali Bennett, the prime minister, We'll have to decide where he's going to. And I think he will go to the center left of the political uh, system. He'll become much more centrist. And Yamina will just disappear like many other parties have. The only difference is that today uh, we all know that Yamina is not only part of the government, but the head of Yamina is also the prime minister. So this is a very unique situation. I think that th that will just show how, many, how, how the voters of Yamina feel angry towards the decisions that were made by Naftali Bennett going and forming a government with the left-wing parties and with the Arab party. If they would have known that would be the case, according to the polls, 75% of the voters wouldn't have voted for Yamina, meaning Yamina wouldn't have passed the threshold. So I don't see any future for Yamina. Yamina is doomed. I think Yamina is doomed. Everyone understands that. The question is how, how that will impact the government. How will that have an impact on, on the entire political system and political process? Bennett is considered to be one of the weakest prime ministers in Israel, because once even one party leaves the government, the government falls. Yamina is dying out. They don't have the luxury of deciding on their own fate. So one other question in this area, where do you think Pitsala Smotrich fits into this picture? I'll just say this. If the Beit Yehudi won't run in the next elections, and as I said, I am intending into running as the chairman of the Mafdal. If for some reason the Mafdal will not run, then the entire platform will be only in Bezalel Smotri's hand. So he will do all in his ability to try and prevent Bait Yudi from running. Because if Bait Yudi runs, then we're running on, on the same, I would say, neighborhood. So one very specific question, you know, in the last election, Smotrich joined with Ben Gvir, Ben Gvir, who's a follower of Mir Kahana. So we actually met with Bichala Smotrich this summer, and we had the opportunity to ask him, you know, how we felt about that relationship. So he gave us two answers when he answered. He said, first, it was just a technical arrangement, meant nothing more than that. And second, he felt that this was in the summer, so it was pretty early on. He said, so far, Ben Gvir has been behaving appropriately in the Knesset since his elections. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this question. You know, would, would it be an issue for you if you were successful in your goals of becoming chairman? Is a relationship to get into the Knesset something you would ever consider with somebody like a Ben Gvir? I respect Ben Gvir. This is another difference between mainstream modern orthodoxy and the more conservative ones. I disagree with parts of his ideology. Therefore, we will not run with him in the same party. I just would like to remind everyone, according to the Israeli law, Benville is, as we say, kosher. The Supreme Court allowed him to run. 
even though they knew his, his ideology and his background and his history, we respect the existence of them. We understand that they do have voters and they will run in their party. We will run the modern Orthodox party, just as we have been doing for decades. And I think that our voters will appreciate that. Yeah, so I, I mean, just to put, I don't want to spend too much time on this, just to push a little bit on, on the on the Ben-Gvir question. So, and sometimes there are translation challenges. I, I agree with you totally that, you know, once the Supreme Court makes a ruling, then that's the, the beauty and the challenges of democracy, right? That there are a lot of parties that may disagree with us, but... When I think of some of the things, like somebody to me who had a picture of Boruch Goldstein in their home, that I, I, I have trouble respecting that. Like, it's hard for me to swallow that, you know, and, you know, people I, will vote I, for him. I, I understand and I, and I agree. I said clearly without any misunderstandings that the Bayt Yudi under my chairmanship will not run together with Ben Gvir and his party, period. The, the present head of the party is Hagit Moshe. Uh, do you think there are things that while she is still chairperson that she should be doing right now to grow the party, um, to move the party forward? The reason that I'm running for the chairmanship is because I think that she cannot. I mean, she came to sort of rescue the party, not getting into the past, but the bottom line is the Bayt Yudim of that doesn't have even one member of the Knesset first time in over 60 years. So that's a failure. I think that she hasn't yet decided if she is continuing in the Maftal or she may resign and uh, stay in her current post as the deputy mayor of, uh, of Jerusalem. Being a chairman of a party is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's time for recovering from all the failures that we have experienced in the last uh, for elections, and I think it's the next generation, my generation. I feel I have the experience. I come from a family, my grandfather, my parents, myself. We are totally part and parcel of the of the modern Orthodox community. I learned throughout all my life in modern Orthodox institutions. I raised my kids in the modern Orthodox ideology. I reflect the new generation of the modern orthodoxy. And I think it's time for us to start leading because after the failure of the last four elections, it's time for us to recover and to show that we still have our dignity and we and we have our power. And it's important, not only for us as a, as a modern orthodox community, but I think also for the state of Israel and for the Jewish mm-hmm. people. It's important for the state of Israel and for the Jewish people that the modern orthodoxy that can run and reflect a community of over one million Israelis. So so now what, right? So how, how does one go about running for chairperson of Bayt Yehudi? What I do is, first of all, I met with uh, Chagit Moshe. I told her flat out that this is what I'm planning on doing. And now what I'm doing is grassroots. I learned four years I've been in, in, in the States, in Houston, and I learned that the Congress, you know, the Congress has every two years its elections. Mm-hmm. The first year, what I learned is the first year after elections, what the congressmen do is mainly grassroots. Understanding that only after you have the, the ability 
and the grassroots with you, only then you can climb into the second, actually the second phase. So that's what I'm doing. I am trying my best and I'm meeting people all over Israel and I'm trying to convince them and try to explain to them what I feel from, from those meetings is that everyone understands that something has to be done, something has to be done now, and they are, even though the situation is very difficult, they are very optimistic. So I'm encouraged, and I truly believe that uh, even though our current situation is at its worst, I think best is yet to come. Sounds great. Uh, so w- once we have you, you know, you, you just spent a few years in the U.S., so clearly you have a, a deep understanding of the U- United States, the relationship between the U.S. and Israel. One concern for American Jews has been Israel is in danger of becoming a political wedge, where it used to be it was a bipartisan issue. A- any thoughts on, you know, how to promote your ideas in America to Jews, to non-Jews, and keep Israel as a bipartisan issue? You're right, but I think that for some reason... It looks like the entire, you know, the, all the weight is on, on Israel's side, and that's not the case. Unfortunately, and I can say it from, you know, from my post as the Consul General of Israel four years in, in the Southwest. Today, the political system in, in the United States is polarized, and the Democratic Party is not the same Democratic Party that we're relating to two decades ago. It's a different party altogether. So we can talk a lot about, you know, having a bipartisan relationship. And of course, this is where I'm striving into. But saying that, it's important for us to understand that the politics, the politics in, in, the, state, in the United States has also changed. And the Democratic Party, not in, of course, not the whole party, but unfortunately, the extreme liberal parts of the, of the Democratic Party, it departed itself from Israel, unfortunately. Now, of course, we're not going to give up and we will strive to convince them, but we're not the only player on the field. It's also the Democratic Party. And so applies to the Republican Party. We have to do our best to find the path to both parties. But we also have to understand there are turning points in the American political system that changed in the last two decades, and that has a lot of impact on us. Now, what would what should we do with that? That's a major challenge for us. And I think that only Israeli politicians that understand the American system know it, that experienced it, like I have for the past four years, I think only they can really understand, first of all, how important it is and what should be done. So on that topic, you know, living in the Southwest, um, I am sure that you had much interaction with the evangelicals. They form a very significant voting block and tend to be very pro-Zionistic. Um, any thoughts about roles that they can or should or shouldn't play in supporting Israel and the Zionist entity? We're talking about around 70 five million Americans who are part of the evangelical denomination. A quarter of the Americans. Understanding having them on our side is critical. I have met with dozens and dozens of pastors from the evangelical denomination, and I can say without any doubt that we are talking about our best and closest allies. This is not the entire American society, but we're talking about a quarter of the American society, I think that this is an asset for Israel. 
an asset for the Jewish people, an asset for the Jewish state. And I hope we can only continue deepening and widening our connections with the evangelical denomination. Let me ask you one last question, a different topic in general, but it's one that I think is dear to the hearts of many in RZA Mizrahi. Um, we have become close with the, the parents of Hadar Golden in recent, recent times. Um, and are very interested in, I know there's a lot of the behind the scenes talk and discussion now between Israel and Hamas and trying to release his remains. Um, any thoughts on that, on what should be done behind scenes or to, to try to get him and Oron Shaul and, you know, their two citizens who are being held by Hamas, how we go about, you know, freeing them? This is not only our duty, but this is also a very important mitzvah from the Torah to bringing Jews to Jewish burial. We have to take that very seriously. Unfortunately, we're talking about over already seven years later and I don't see anything happening. I don't want to give my uh, opinion because I have no clue about the information and where things exactly stand. And I think one should be very, very cautious when he talks about such sensitive issues. All I can say is I truly hope that we will see our soldiers that were killed in action being brought back to Jewish burial in Israel. We just remember that a year and a half ago, an Israeli soldier, Zechariah Baumel, was brought after 37 years back home and buried in Israel. So this is something that Israel will always try its best to, to, to solve. Okay, great. Thank you. Timeline. A any sense of what your timeline is? for moving in the direction of trying to become chairman? I think and hope that in the next, I would say, 12 months, we will have, I don't know if it'll be primaries or elections or whatever of decision in the Bait Yehudi party regarding the chairmanship. I truly hope that I will win those elections or whatever. And once I become the chairman, then I, my first task will be to uh, revive the party by going from town to city, from village to village, explaining, meeting, trying to convince as many, many modern Orthodox Jews to support us and to vote for us. And I truly believe that if this will be the case and we will have God's help, we will not only overcome the threshold, but we will see a major success hopefully even more than four, five, even maybe six mandates whenever the elections will take place. This is where I'm striving to. But as I said, first come first. And what I'm trying to do is to convince members of the party to understand that we need to, to start the process now. Um, and hopefully in the coming months, we will have elections for the chairmanship. And then, as I said earlier, Hopefully, we will see the impact in the general elections when they'll take place. Great. Thank you so much, Gila. This was very informative. We really enjoyed it. Hatzlacha. Um, we look forward to continuing to hear about your progress and watching as things unfold. Thank you. Thank you very much. as well. Thank you so much for joining us for the Religious Zionist of America, Mizrahi, Voices of Our Nation podcast. Stay tuned for more stories centered on Jewish identity and Jewish ideas. Tell us your story at voices at rz.org. 
Special thanks to Robbie Daniel Alter and Gilad Katz for helping us to make this episode possible.